fairly common complaint about the Marvel movies is that they're homogenous. I've brought this up on the show itself, comparing it in one episode to 60s Motown, which is an assembly line. And I like 60s Motown, and almost everyone likes 60s Motown, but they do get a bit samey after a while, and I think that's also true with the Marvel movies. Superhero comics themselves are pretty formulaic, although... Lots of self-important nerds, such as people I could mention, you know, myself, put a lot of weight behind that sort of thing. But no matter how much you try to dress it up, superheroes were created to provide cheap thrills to undiscerning eight-year-olds in exchange for pocket change. However, superhero comics are also weird as shit. If a character has ongoing monthly adventures for eight decades with hundreds if not thousands of writers and artists working upon them, a lot of stuff is going to happen to them. And at their basis, superheroes were a pastiche of various 1930s pulp adventure tropes. And that just kept getting added on and on as writers and artists kept conjuring ideas out of the blue in order to make the deadline in three weeks. This came to the point where Batman will solve a locked room mystery, fight a vampire, search for lost treasure in the Amazon, and then go off into space to fight a cosmic demigod with his buddy Superman, possibly all within the span of one month's worth of stories. WandaVision looks like an attempt to re-inject superheroes with some of that weird-ass collage style, which has resulted in a number of people, including some who are kind of sick of the Marvel machine at this point, to label it as a breath of fresh air. I thought that it might be interesting to center an episode of this show on the first three episodes of WandaVision, so we'll be getting into that and cutting it apart and seeing how it plays out in both the history of the MCU and of the superhero genre in general. My name is Ryan, this is A Real Deep Dive. And joining me for this episode is Sarah. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Hey, everybody. Now, the reason why we became binge buddies on WandaVision, well, it's not binging because it's one episode a week like a real TV show, is because I twisted your arm into reading that 12-issue Vision Maxi series written by Tom King, and then you got real invested in it. Yep. And, and when they were going to adapt parts of it into this WandaVision show, you threatened me if I started watching it with anyone else. Yeah, I believe my exact words were, if you watch it without me, we will no longer be friends, and I won't speak to you for a week. Yeah, that's basically how it went. I didn't test fate. I watched WandaVision with you, and here we are talking about it. Yep. <laughs> Right, before we go any further, the background of this, I uh, have decided not to go into the comic book origins of either the Vision or Wanda, who is never referred to as the Scarlet Witch in the MCU. For legal reasons, I don't want to get into this because the show could stretch off for two hours. Yep. But maybe, maybe if we do other episodes, I'll get back into that. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll have to talk about that eventually. In the Marvel movies, the Vision started out as Jarvis, an AI assistant for Tony Stark in the Iron Man movies. Jarvis is a, a human in the comics. He's like a more boring Alfred, but he's an AI in the Iron Man movies. Well, no, in the TV show they did with, uh, for Agent Carter. Oh yeah, there's off as a real person. Yeah, there's um, a there's a human Jarvis in that. I forgot yeah, about him. Yeah, but then um, Tony models the AI after him because he's the only real character in the house. Very sweet. Yeah. The AI Jarvis attains sentience and super strong android body that can also walk through walls and shoot laser beams and a bunch of other stuff while the Avengers were battling Ultron. Wanda Maximoff, aka nothing, <laughs> 
along with her twin brother Pietro, were victims of a bombing that involved Stark technology. Embittered against Iron Man because of this, they volunteered to be experimented on by the terrorist group Hydra, which gave Wanda the ability to manipulate probability, alter reality, read minds, and also telekinesis. Basically anything the writers need at that moment in time. Yeah, Wanda's powers have always been vague and confusing. Like, seriously, ask, like, three different superhero nerds to describe the Scarlet Witch's power set, and you'll get three different answers, and most of them will be like, I don't know. She and her brother aligned with Ultron when Hydra fell, but then joined the Avengers when Ultron proved to be genocidal. Pietro was killed in the final battle with Ultron, but Wanda continued to serve with the Avengers afterwards. Wanda and Vision briefly flirt in one scene in Captain America Civil War, and then they are a couple in Avengers Infinity War, and we are not privy to how that developed. It's always in between scenes. More on that later. Thanos kills Vision at the story's climax. WandaVision itself is derived from the following comics. The Vision and the Scarlet Witch, a series of miniseries from the mid-80s, written by Bill Mantlo and Steve Englehart, and illustrated by Rick Leonardi and Richard Howell. These center on Vision and the Scarlet Witch getting married and moving to the suburbs, and then they conceive children through unorthodox means, partially magical. These children wound up becoming Speed and Wiccan of the Young Avengers. The other storyline that this is derived from is House of M by Brian Michael Bendis and Oliver Coypel. After the Scarlet Witch's children are proved to be magical constructs and are banished to nothingness, they got better, speed and wicked for the Young Avengers, Wanda snaps and uses her reality-warping powers to pull everyone into a fantasy world where they all get their heart's desire. Magneto is the dictator of the world, Doctor Doom is the leader of the Fantastic Four, Wolverine runs S.H.I.E.L.D., Spider-Man is the most beloved hero in New York City, you get the idea. <laughs> However, this fantasy world starts cracking very quickly once certain heroes start getting suspicious about how perfect everything is for them. And then finally, the aforementioned Vision by Tom King, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. This one involves the Vision building an android wife, son, daughter, and puppy in the hopes of living a normal human life in small-town America. These ambitions are steadily eroded by the weight of the Vision's past and the small-minded prejudices of the community, and this is a rough read. This will break your goddamn heart. I had to sit down and think about things after I finished the vision. Yeah, you made me read it. Yeah, I'm awful. The jumping off point for uh, WandaVision was Kevin Feige, the head of Marvel Studios, looking at the cover illustrations for this iteration of The Vision. They were done by uh, Mike Del Mundo, and they kind of mixed that Norman Rockwell, idyllic, endless American summer type of thing with stills that are common in sitcoms like Leave it to Beaver and the like. And that's where the whole sitcom pastiche thing comes from. Let's recap the plot of the first three episodes. Right, the first one is called Film Before a Live Studio Audience, and the show actually was. Really, was it? Yes. Newlyweds Wanda and Vision move into Westview, a town eerily reminiscent of 1950s sitcoms like I Love Lucy or Ozzie and Harriet. They notice a heart drawn on the calendar date, but neither can recall its meaning. While Vision is working at Computational Services Incorporated, a company that doesn't seem to do, make, buy, or sell anything, Wanda concludes that the heart symbolizes a wedding anniversary. She begins prepping for a romantic evening with Agnes, a nosy, wisecracking neighbor who invited herself over. Vision is reminded that his boss, Mr. Hart, is having dinner at his home that night. This leads to wacky antics as Wanda and Vision frantically scramble to prepare an elaborate meal while concealing their superpowers. 
The sitcom veneer is broken when Mr. Hart begins choking while interrogating Wanda and Vision about their background. Vision saves him, restoring the sitcom atmosphere. As Wanda conjures wedding bands for her and her husband, we pull back to see someone from a mysterious organization called S.W.O.R.D. watching WandaVision on a monitor. The next episode is called Don't Touch That Dial. That one centers on Wanda and Vision noticing a suspicious noise outside their bedroom, but it turns out to just be tree branches banging against their window. That morning, Wanda and Vision rehearse a magic act that they're performing for an elementary school fundraiser. Wanda and Agnes spend the day planning the show in a committee run by the passive-aggressive, domineering Dottie. Meanwhile, Vision attends a neighborhood watch meeting and accidentally ingests gum, something that begins screwing with his android body. The Vision can't actually eat. Wanda befriends new neighbor Geraldine at the planning committee, but is distracted by Dottie breaking the sitcom veneer to question her motives. The radio begins talking to Wanda, growing more and more unhinged until Dottie breaks a glass in her hand, resulting in red blood in the black-and-white sitcom world. At the talent show, Vision blunders on stage with an air of intoxication, because of the gum. He begins revealing his powers, weirding out the community, forcing Wanda to use her powers to imply that they're still performing simple magic tricks. Wanda eventually figures out that the gum is making Vision act erratic and removes it. The crowd interprets the performance as a comedy routine and presents the couple with a trophy. Wanda and Vision return home to find that Wanda is suddenly three months pregnant. Another strange noise leads Wanda and Vision to step outside and find an ominous beekeeper emerging from the sewer with the sword logo on his back. Wanda, disturbed, uses her powers to reset reality to before the figure appears. The setting then bursts into vivid color. The third episode is called Now in Color. Wanda is examined by Dr. Nielsen, who concludes that she is four months along and that everything is fine. While Vision is talking to his neighbor, Herb, he cuts through the wall. Vision then questions Wanda about the weird behavior exhibited by the neighbors, causing Wanda to rewind and renovate reality once again. As Wanda and Vision paint the nursery and put together the crib and debate names, Wanda's pregnancy suddenly elevates to six months. Contractions set in uh, almost immediately afterwards, and storm clouds break out indoors when Wanda's water breaks. Geraldine comes in while Vision is frantically scrambling to get the doctor, and helps Wanda deliver two boys who are named Tommy and Billy. Meanwhile, after Vision gets back, he overhears Herb and Agnes gossip about how Geraldine arrived in town without notice and doesn't appear to have a family, a husband, a background, or a house that she lives in. After the birth of the twins, Geraldine reveals to Wanda that she knows who she is once Wanda talks about her brother Pietro. Geraldine says, yeah, Ultron killed him, didn't he? Wanda then notices that there is a sword emblem dangling around uh, Geraldine's neck. When Vision returns, Geraldine is gone. She is next seen getting cast out of Westview through a wall of static and is escorted to safety by sword agents. And those are the three episodes so far. Anything you'd like to throw in before we start talking about the production? Um, I would say it's vaguely, it's implied that she's being escorted to safety by sword agents, but it's not clear for people who aren't, like, super aware of it, because Wanda just tosses her onto the ground, and then she's, like, in headlight, and that's when the episode cuts. There's still a bit of a mystery here. I mean, if this holds up to House of M standards, Wanda is doing this all by herself. Maybe Sword is screwing with her. Maybe Hydra did a whammy on her and Sword is trying to help her. Maybe Sword's the bad guys. Maybe they're the good guys. We don't know yet. I think that's kind of the idea behind it. Right. Yeah, production of this. Initially, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier was slated to be the first MCU series for Disney+, Plus, but COVID-19 mucked up the shooting for that. <laughs> 
The budget for uh, WandaVision is $25 million per episode, making this the most expensive TV show ever produced. Yeah, it shows. Director Matt Shakeman cites Pleasantville and the Truman Show's direct influences on the series, both of which are pretty obvious. Yep. Head writer Jack Schaefer, she also was the writer for uh, Captain Marvel and the Black Widow film. She wanted the writing to earnestly reflect old sitcoms with minimal winking or parodic elements. She wanted to strive for authenticity, so there's not nearly as much lampshade hanging as there is in, say, Pleasantville, which I think mostly hangs together. There are a couple of winking moments, like the the scene where uh, Wanda and Vision are uh, in the separate beds together, and then Wanda conjures a single bed, and they get under the covers and fool around. Yeah, that one's pretty cute. Yeah, that, that one is clearly like doing a little fourth wall break, mocking old sitcom traditions. But besides that, yeah, a lot of this feels like very very much like Dick Van Dyke yeah, or I mean, Ozzy and Harriet and the like. Even in the way Wanda and Vision talk, like their tones change when they're like breaking out of the sitcom reality for a minute. It shifts from episode to episode. Like Elizabeth Olsen in the first episode, I think she's doing a very uh, stage Vivian Lance type of delivery. Mm-hmm. Dick Van Dyke himself was consulted for the show. And the episodes were also shot chronologically, just to uh, help everyone with the flow of things. A whole bunch of things were done in order to preserve the vibe of it. The old sitcoms are done in a 4-3 aspect ratio. This is especially apparent when Geraldine gets thrown back out of uh, Westview and into the real world, because suddenly the screen changes back to like a cinematic aspect ratio and no, no longer the 1950s TV one. Yeah. Tungsten lighting was used for episodes set from the 1950s to the 1970s. Apparently LEDs are going to be brought in for episodes set in the 2000s where they're riffing more on Parks and Rec than Dick Van Dyke. Okay. Bettany was painted blue for the first two episodes because that looks better in grayscale. Okay, that makes sense. Cinematographer Jess Hall used 47 different lenses for the seven time periods depicted in WandaVision. Most of them were modern lenses modified to evince characteristics of period lenses. Also, there was a big internal debate over whether or not they should use a laugh track. And after they settled on using one, they went through 70 years of sitcom history to pick out how laugh tracks were used and how they shifted between, say, I Love Lucy and Cheers. Personally, I think one of the most effective aspects of the show was when they do the cracks in the veneer, when the real world starts creeping in. Because, especially in the first episode, they stick to the multi-camera setup, which I described the, the aspect to Sarah because she didn't understand like the terminology. It hadn't come up before, but you know what it means. After someone tells it to you, are like, oh yeah, that. Right. For those not in the know, uh, multi-camera as opposed to single camera is when you erect usually three, but sometimes four or five cameras and set positions in front of a stage and just switch between them while you're filming. It's a method used to save time, and for live broadcasts, especially talk shows or news shows or professional sports, it's, an, it's a necessity. Some say that I Love Lucy was the first TV show to use the multi-camera setup. That's not true. I Love Lucy popularized it after they did it. Everyone else started doing it because it was the most popular show on TV. I Love Lucy was the first sitcom to shoot in front of a live studio audience. Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, the multi-camera setup dates back to the silent era. Yeah, I mean, that, that yeah. makes sense. If, it, if it's 
easier film that way, then, you know, obviously it would make sense for more people to do it. But, um, yeah, you know, the basic shorthand of it is if it looks like you're watching a movie, it's single camera. And if it looks like you're watching a play, it's multi-camera. You yourself pointed out that, you know, when you were watching old episodes of Cheers, you know, so people are just sort of like walking in from offstage as if they were on a theater stage. Yeah, like there's always an entrance and an exit. You know, like another good example of it would be like Full House, right? Like somebody's always coming in from the front door or the kitchen door. Like they don't, they don't just like suddenly appear, you know, you have to right. see them enter. Now let's talk about the cast a bit. First off, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda. I already mentioned that I think her affect in the first episode is very similar to what Vivian Vance did. But uh, I do think that both Wanda and Vision were shortchanged in the movies. As I mentioned before, they're introduced in Age of Ultron, and there's like this one scene in Captain America Civil War where they're kind of vibing off each other while Vision is attempting to cook traditional Sokovian food for her. And then skip ahead, skip ahead, skip ahead. You next see them in Avengers Affinity War, and they've been together forever, and they're so in love. Then Vision dies, and I personally didn't feel much because I don't think I got to know this character all that well before that happened. I was upset, but only because I have liked Vision, like, in most iterations I've seen him in. Like, he's not... I, I haven't read a whole lot with Vision in it. I should be clear. I haven't read a lot of, like, the Avengers comics. I'm more of an X-Men gal. But I, I have always liked Vision, and he was fun. And I was upset because I was like, oh, I wish he would have had more to do. Also, for me, who is a bit more of, uh, familiar with Avengers lore, the Vision gets destroyed and rebuilt every five to ten years. Yeah, so that came up. Um, I asked you about that when I was reading the, the Vision comic. And, you know, like, they, they talk about the, the Vision and the Scarlet Witch in that where, like, you know, he gets... She she ends up with the man that she, like, based him off of, right? Or yeah, uh, Wonder Man. Yeah, that's weird. That's, that's a weird story. Marvel comics are weird, guys. She's, she's with him, but human him. And it's very strange, and it's very weird. And their, their children weren't weird, real, and I, it's weird. And also, um, Wonder Man is an Avenger and not a Justice League character. DC never bothered to trademark Wonder Man. Oh, boy. But yeah, so they bring up, like, Vision dying and her putting his, like, mind into Wonder Man and then feeling guilty about it and, like, taking it out. Or I, I might not understand it well because I didn't read that actual comic, but I was like, oh, so does, does Vision get destroyed a lot then? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, so they could theoretically figure out a way to bring him back in the Marvel in the Marvel movies then. And you're like, yeah. And I'm like, but where are they going to get another Infinity Stone? They wrote, wrote themselves into a corner. Yeah, they'll write themselves out. It's a magic space rock. Yeah. But yeah, Elizabeth Olsen is terrific in this, and she wasn't given much of a chance in the mo in the movies up to this point. Uh, in the Age of Ultron, she was saddled with having to do that Eastern European accent that wasn't really going terribly well. I mean, I know that Sokovia is not a real country. Everyone, if you want to be pedantic about it, but that fake accent was distracting. Yeah, I mean, she does okay. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's not as bad as some people pointed out to be. Yeah, I wouldn't call it like Rocky and Bullwinkle. Like, I think it's flirting with Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's getting there, but it's not. It's not quite there yet. But in this, she's very charming. Her facial acting is great, especially the bits where she's playing around with Vision and the magic box in Episode Two and is doing the little flourishes and stuff. Also, just she and Bettany just have fantastic chemistry, and it was the first chance they had to actually demonstrate it. They're yeah. just so adorable together. Well, and it was really sweet, too, when she started singing in Kobian to her babies, and you were just like, aww. 
I, I have seen some of the memes. I didn't have them in context because I just watched the third episode for the first time before sitting down to do this. But yeah, there's there's a lot of sadness memes on social yeah. media now, and yeah. now I understand that. Yeah, I bet. Uh, also, ones where you know she brings up that she had a brother named Pietro. Yeah. Oh, Rwanda. Uh, yeah. Next up, Paul Bettany as Vision. Once again, all the stuff that I mentioned before, great chemistry with Olsen. Uh, he's He has a really great sense of comedic timing, which, I mean, Jarvis is funny in the Iron Man movies, but it's sort of a distracted, distant, ironic type of humor. And in this, he's very, like, charmingly befuddled in a Hugh Grant rom-com way. Mm. And he plays that off very well. Yeah. He cited Dick Van Dyke and Hugh Laurie as influences on his performance on this show. I'm assuming pre-house Hugh Laurie. I was thinking, is, are we talking like Black Adder pre-Hugh Laurie? Yeah, I'm thinking Black Adder yeah, Hugh Laurie. <laughs> I'm not sure what they have planned for the Vision after this. It, it's implied that he's a fake magical construct of Wanta, and that might wind up being what he is. Yeah, it appears that she can reset him and... It's interesting because he doesn't seem to remember when she does the resets, but the neighbors do. Yeah, uh, more on that in a bit. Vision is in the Young Avengers, and they do seem to be teeing up a Young Avengers show in these Disney Plus series. Uh, not only are Wiccan and Speed introduced in WandaVision, but we already know that the Kate Bishop Hawkeye is going to be a part of the Hawkeye show. Pizza dog. Pizza dog. And I wouldn't be surprised if Patriot shows up in the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. That show's uh, going to be great. <laughs> yeah, next up, Catherine Hahn as Agnes. Now, everyone here does a very nice job affecting the old-timey golden age of television sitcoms, but she's the best at it. Mm, agreed. She's playing the nosy neighbor stock type, constantly riffing about her unseen husband. I imagine when they get to the 90s, it's going to be kind of like, you know, Niles mentioning Maris on every episode of Frasier without ever seeing her. <laughs> also, popular fan theory is that if Wanda isn't wholly responsible for what's happening, maybe the secret bad guy all along is Agnes. But some speculating that she's Agatha Harkness from the comics. She's the lady that in the vision gives Agatha the, or, or gives gives Vision's wife the thingy, right? Uh, yeah, Agatha Harkness was, among other things, Scar uh, Scarlet Witch's magic tutor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, yeah, okay. I'm thinking of the right witch. Yeah. Other people on the show, uh, Deborah Jo Rupp as, as Mrs. Hart. I know her mostly as the mom from that 70s show. Yeah, I was like, oh, it's Kitty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are a whole lot of people who are just, like, their very face is a sitcom trope, and they're all used in the show, and Deborah Jo Rupp is the most obvious one. Fred Malamud is Mr. Hart. You know, the first episode is a very, like, tired, worn-out cliche of old-timey sitcoms where the, the, the husband brings the boss and his wife home for dinner and hijinks ensue. I think one of the boldest aspects of the show is that the sitcom writing, the jokes are genuinely funny. Like, if you're into that Dick Van Dyke, I love Lucy sort of thing, it, it works on that level. Like, they're never acting like they're better than that material. No, and it works really well. Then we have Tayona Paris as Geraldine. I already had the, the beans spilled on this one. She is apparently Monica Rambeau, uh, eventually Captain Marvel or Photon. I'm guessing since we already have a Captain Marvel, she is not going to take on that name. Then we have Emma Caulfield Ford as Dottie. And you're like, who is that? I know that person from someplace. Uh, it's from Buffy. Another that face. She, apparently she's going to be a bigger deal in later episodes. She was, she was great on Buffy. 
I was never that into Buffy, so I'll have to take your word for it. She was Anya, the uh, demon that Xander ends up dating. Okay, and with that, let's talk about themes. First and foremost, the ugly truth hidden behind the flimsy veneer of Gentile plasticity. In other words, if it looks that much like a Norman Rockwell painting, something's gotta be off. Yeah. That is the recurring element of this show thus far. More than a few people, including a uh, local film critic, Bob Shipman, goes by New Movie Bob, has described WandaVision as baby's first Twin Peaks. Okay. I can definitely see where he's coming from there. When you're talking about the ugly truth hidden behind the flimsy veneer of Gentile plasticity, David Lynch is one of the first people that you think of, and that is an element in most of his work, particularly Blue Velvet, but it's present in Twin Peaks, and I'd say to a lesser extent Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, and... Well, not so much The Elephant Man, because that's like a, a normal movie, even though David Lynch directed it. I've, I've seen none of those things. Really? I thought you'd seen at least some tw- uh, Twin Peaks. I saw two episodes. The first two. I'll get there eventually. It's, it's on my list. When someone first made that comparison, I'm just like, no. Hey, wait, yeah. A <laughs> <laughs> little bit. I mean, this is definitely a Disney version of a David Lynch movie. <laughs> I don't know if I could even imagine what that is until WandaVision happened, except for that YouTube video where someone edited clips from a Goofy movie to make it look like a David Lynch movie. Oh, that must be fun. Yeah, it implies that Max is dead and that Goofy's in denial and Pete is trying to gently nudge him back. Oh. <laughs> it's, oh. it's awful. Look oh, it up. Hard. Never show that to Melody. <laughs> Never, ever. It'll break her heart. Uh, yeah, uh, other than, say, uh, Pleasantville and the Truman Show, which I brought up and I'll go into a little bit more, lots of people also compare this to Too Many Cooks. All right, Too Many Cooks is an adult swim skit, which starts out as sort of like a TGIF full house sitcom intro, okay. but it doesn't stop. It keeps going. Cast members keep getting introduced. Oh, no. And then things start getting slowly insane. The characters start becoming aware that this is a never-ending Full House intro, and it gets more and more insane until things explode. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Next uh, thematic undercurrent I wanted to bring up was the notion of suburban conformity. A lot of ways similar to, say, Bewitched or I Dream of Genie. The second episode even has an animated Bewitched intro. Wanda and Vision are both striving to fit in and also to hide their abilities from the neighbors. Which is interesting because if you go with the theory that the whole neighborhood basically knows who they are and what they're doing, like, there's no real need to do it. Well, yeah, the neighbors themselves are kind of... In a weird trance. Except in the moments when they're aware of it and they're denying, like uh, when Herb and uh, Agnes are gossiping amongst each other and they're they're looking away from Vision and they're like, don't break the facade. It's also similar to, say, that Twilight Zone episode of the little boy who can warp around reality and everybody has to think happy thoughts and do happy things and not upset the boy or else they'll be sent away to the cornfield. Yep, that's exactly what I thought of in that scene. Wanda is the little boy who can turn you into a jack-in-the-box, maybe. Except she does it seemingly by accident. The head writer of the show mentioned that one of her inspirations was the idea that Wanda and Vision grew close to each other because of how different they were from everyone else, even the other superheroes that they're on the same team with. (laughs) Which, 
is something that is sort of events in the movies themselves, but the movies don't have time to delve into that because Thanos is collecting his magic space rocks, and that's more important. But WandaVision gets to play into that more and actually give Vision and Wanda a chance to actually flesh themselves out a little bit. The struggle to fit in is also events in Wanda's foreign background. In the first episode, Mr. Hart is suspicious of Wanda's Sokovian heritage, even implies that she might be a communist. Yeah, you know, it's fitting for the time, but it's a little awkward. It makes me think of Pleasantville's uh, awkward, entirely Caucasian metaphor for racism. I mean, I love Pleasantville. I fell in love with it when it was a new movie, and I saw it as a kid. And then someone pointed out to me, yeah, the, the whole thing where the black and white sitcom teenagers turn to Technicolor when they have their little awakening, and then the movie turns it into a ham-fisted racial metaphor, where they're like, oh, look, at you're going off with your colored girlfriend, and they're both Caucasian. I, I don't think that's a, uh, a deal-breaker for the movie entirely, speaking from purely my own perspective but yeah that's a that's a little off a little off i haven't watched that movie since we were like children hence why i keep forgetting that paul walker is in it (laughs) but yeah i'd have to i'll have to revisit that I mean, I consider Pleasantville a candidate for an episode of this show to begin with, but yeah, yeah, another time, uh, if we do more WandaVision episodes, we can delve into that more as they keep going through the decades. Yeah, another episode, another episode. Uh, another thing to bring up, the commercials, which I haven't mentioned up to this point. Oh, the commercials are delightful. It, what is interesting is that the principal window for reality leaking out is the commercials themselves, which is an interesting venue for that to happen, because... To paraphrase Joe Rogan, even though I'd really not want to, TV, by his standings, isn't a real art form because it exists solely to get you to sit still long enough to watch the commercials. I think that's a flawed metaphor at best. Just about all of the arts rely on patronage, and that has compromised them in various ways. TV is not unique in that regard. Yeah, that's a pretty flawed yeah, I can see where it's coming from, though, because if the commercials didn't exist, then the TV show wouldn't happen. Which means that they're using these commercials for, like, Tony Stark toasters and Hydra soap in order to point out the artifice of the TV show reality. And then it's just an interesting decision that I'm still kind of working on and packing, and I'm not sure what they're going for or what it means, but it seems to mean something. Well, yeah, and they're dropping little clues in them. I mean, unless we're breeding into it too much, but... The, the toaster. The reason yeah, the reason the shows the, the commercials exist are to force you to read into it too much and then gossip about it on social media and therefore bring attention to the show. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, Sarah pointed the first one with with the Stark toaster. It beeps red even though it's black and white, and a lot of people have connected that to the bomb that put Wanda in mortal terror with Pietro for weeks on end, and and is responsible for her ill feelings towards Tony Stark. Yeah, a lot of people have said that the commercials are actually a window into Wanda's trauma. Yeah, especially because the toaster, so it's beeping, and it starts off kind of slow, and then it gets faster and faster and faster, and the, like, wife of the commercial, like, turns to look at the camera, and her face is just, like, horror-struck. Yeah, and that is how Wanda describes the bomb in Age of Ultron. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that also leads me to start talking about, say, the, uh, I will say... I mean, this is an overused term, but 
problematic depiction of Scarlet Witch's mental health in the comics. Uh, because there, Scarlet Witch. there are at least three major storylines I can bring up, House of M included, and probably several more that I'm not thinking of at the moment, where the Scarlet Witch is essentially this dark phoenix figure that her friends in the Avengers need to put down for her own good. Yeah, because she's snapped and gone a little crazy. It's interesting because the uh, the Vision comic book that you made me read, which is why we're watching this show together, Wanda is remarkably well put together, and Vision is the one who is having a mental breakdown and everyone is worried about. And so Wanda's like, no, no, it's fine, and it's all going to work out. And see, I'm okay now, so you'll be okay. And Vision's like, sure, I'm going to be fine, and then goes nuts. Uh, this is something that's come up ramping up to the WandaVision show. I have a lot of people that I talk to who are also comic fans, some of them big Avengers nerds, and a few of them have had uh, mental health issues. Some of them are on the spectrum. You talk to a person who actually is being medicated for schizophrenia, and they all found the depiction of the Scarlet Witch in numerous comics to be a little condescending, sometimes reductive, and they wanted to watch WandaVision, but they were also dreading it at the same time mm, that's fair yeah speaking personally i haven't noticed anything that seems untoward or f- something that rings false in the way that wanda is depicted thus far overall i really like the show i probably wouldn't want to do this episode if i hated it i haven't seen anything that sort of spike like or raises my hackles because you know as you know i also have mental aside i have generalized anxiety disorder and major depressive disorder and you know those aren't as severe as you know your friend with schizophrenia but it can be really annoying to read an offensive reductive character who's got an anxiety disorder and just can't like do any of the things like it it's and this has come up in other uh, discussions of superhero media on this show. The whole idea of depicting, say, Arkham Asylum as this place where all of the mentally ill go and they're all incredibly violent and dangerous and a threat to the community around them. And they're like, no, people with mental health disorders are usually a the victim or, or, or more often the victim of violence rather than the perpetrator. Yep. And that show coming up in media over and over again, Sylvan and I discussed this a bit on the Halloween episode, it does color public perception of the mentally ill. It has shamed a lot of mentally ill people from confronting this sort of thing publicly or discussing it with their loved ones because they're afraid of being judged for it. And, you know, we're three episodes in the WandaVision and it hasn't gotten to that minefield yet. I mean, that's not the main reason I dislike House of M. Uh, I, I think House of M is a bad comic overall. Uh, I think there are too many characters. I don't think the characterization is handled well. I think the plot is lumpy. I think the ending is incredibly anticlimactic. Most event comics are because they're mostly just setting up a new status quo rather than resolving things because it's superhero comics and they're never allowed to end. Yeah, um... I, I don't think I've read any House of M specifically, like, on its own, but I do remember there was a, an event comic you were having me read. I can't remember if it was Civil War or um, Marvel Zombies, but there were, like, mentions, there were little asides with House of M in them. Maybe it wasn't one of those, but, it, like, I saw, like, bits of House of M being mentioned, but I've never actually read it. That also made me a little nervous about WandaVision. It's like, oh, it's taking on bits of House of M? I don't like House of M. Then again, I didn't like Civil War, Old Man Logan, especially Old Man Logan. That thing sucked. However, the movie versions of that were great. Yeah, the movie version of Logan is, I'd say it's still like the best superhero movie I've ever seen. 
I don't know that I want to watch it again because it's heartbreaking and I cried a lot, but... Logan just took the basic concept of Wolverine existing as an old man and the uh, universe of the X-Men have been destroyed and then just made up a whole new story around it, which is a good idea. They, that is a good thing they did. Yep. Yeah, I was hoping, like, WandaVision was going to be that with House of M if they're using House of M. Well, it appears that they're doing really well. So far, the reception of it has been largely positive, but we we talk about that if we are on the episode for the next three episodes of WandaVision. So with all of that taken care of, if there isn't anything else that you would like to mention, I think we can close this one out. Yeah, no, I think we're good. Okay, good night, everybody. I'll see you for the next episode. Bye.